Would you pray with me our prayer for illumination? God who is over us, God who is one of us, God who is, give us pure hearts that we may see you, humble hearts that we may hear you, hearts of love that we may serve you, hearts of faith that we may abide in your heart. Amen. Our scripture is found in the Gospel of Mark, chapter 2, verses 1 through 12. When he returned to Capernaum after some days, it was reported that he was at home. So many gathered around that there was no longer room for them, not even in front of the door. And he was speaking the word to them. Then some people came bringing to him a paralyzed man carried by four of them. And when they could not bring him to Jesus because of the crowd, they removed the roof above him. And after having dug through it, they let down the mat on which the paralytic lay. When Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, Son, your sins are forgiven. Now some of the scribes were sitting there questioning in their hearts, Why does this fellow speak in this way? It is blasphemy. Who can forgive sins but God alone? At once Jesus perceived in his spirit that they were discussing these questions among themselves, and he said to them, Why do you raise such questions in your hearts? Which is easier to say to the paralytic, Your sins are forgiven, or to say, Stand up and take your mat and walk. But so that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins, he said to the paralytic, I say to you, stand up, take your mat, and go to your home. And he stood up and immediately took the mat and went out before all of them so that they were all amazed and glorified God, saying, We have never seen anything like this. Let's pray. Bless, O Lord, the words of my mouth and the meditation of all of our hearts. O Lord, our rock, our strength, and our redeemer. Amen. Two of the most radically wonderful words in the world are welcome home. It illustrates the power of true hospitality which says, whether you are expected or not, come on in. You belong here. It is radical in that it can disrupt the world if necessary, but your presence with us means something. And it's hospitality because it expresses a fundamental honoring of the individual's 
and of their care. You got to admit, four guys, cart and a friend from wherever they came from to Jesus, destroying a roof to make a hole large enough to let him down, has us understanding that a paralytic was fundamentally honored and cared for by these people and that Jesus welcomed this radical form of hospitality. I went to TED Talk to see what there might have been speakers talking about hospitality, and there were a number of them. One of them was a person who had been in Jamaica for some time and experienced the expression, water is not denied. It's a greeting in which anyone who comes into your home is given the opportunity to drink from what you have something cool and refreshing. In fact, this person says there are two special cups in their home for that purpose and that purpose alone. Welcome. What you need will be provided. A researcher named Putman has studied 30,000 people and in that research has come to understand that isolation, not welcome, is our new norm. We are retreating from each other because we've lost trust. We're cultivating fewer friends, watching more television, and escaping into our phones and iPads. Been to a restaurant lately? We are closing doors. Bobby Stuckey, a chef in Boulder, Colorado, has one of those real fancy restaurants, and he says that there's a difference between service and hospitality. Service is what you do to someone. Hospitality is how you make them feel. To illustrate his point, he talked about a couple that was celebrating their 40th anniversary. They called for a Friday night reservation, and when they called, the only thing available was 6 o'clock or 9.30. So they took the 6. Wouldn't you know, Boulder traffic was abysmal that day. He was late getting home from work, and then she was hot. Didn't he want to celebrate their anniversary? He was hot then, because didn't she understand the importance of the deal he was working on? So when they get to the restaurant 45 minutes or 25 minutes late, both of them are grumpy. Rose is their waitress. Rose knows the situation, and so she goes up to the table with a bottle of chilled white wine and starts to pour. To which the woman says, we didn't order that. You know. And Rose says, I understand it's your 40th anniversary. Traffic was terrible. This is my gift to start your celebration. It's on me. 
Rose provides hospitality. It's something Stuckey calls the weapon of the world. It's about looking outward and caring in transformational ways, not about looking inwardly and securing our own spot. That's what's going on in our scripture lesson this morning. Jesus is at home for a rare occasion in Capernaum. He's in a Bible study. That's what it says there. They're studying the word of God. And the message that he's sharing with these people is so compelling that they have packed into that house like sardines. You can't even get in the door. So the folks who have heard about Jesus and the four who are carrying get to the house and there's no way in for two feet, let alone four sets of them in a cot. Someone notices the roof, starts digging. I imagine everyone noticed. Jesus is watching them dig and sweat and strain and the the dust settling over them all. It's a profound moment. And then Jesus does something that just kind of confuses everybody. He doesn't heal the man. Instead, he forgives his sins. Now, this text neither explains what kind of sin he's accused of, nor does it mention anything about having any kind of guilt. But Jesus begins this experience with forgiveness. Somehow he knows that the paralysis in this guy's body is less critical than the paralysis and the stuckness of his spirit. Radical hospitality then gets to the core of what's going on and he's got to solve it from the inside out. In other words, Jesus isn't going to deny him a cup of water. Now initially this gracious act of Jesus offends and unsettles the scribes in the crowd. They begin to grumble. The church will do that. God can't do that. Only forgive sins. He's blaspheming against God by doing this act on his own. And not only does Jesus then hear it and perceive it in his spirit, he goes on to forgive the paralytic's sin and heal his body. Jesus asked the question, which is easier? To forgive or to heal? It's a trick question, people. (laughs) They're only possible in Christ. And so God's Son is necessary. And the result is that the story concludes with everyone absolutely amazed at how Jesus embodies the goodness and the grace and the might and the power and the characteristics of a loving Christ. 
Jesus does what only Jesus can do. He offers healing hospitality in a way that everybody in the room gets it. Now, hospitality in this nature is not particularly easy because the internal and external barriers to faith and to the entrance of Jesus into our lives is real. It was true then and it's true now. Either intentionally or unintentionally, we sometimes block access to Christ. Are we blocking it in our family? Are we keeping the differently abled or the marginalized away from worship with some seen or unseen practice? I can ask that because this is rocket science. It really is. Just for example, two years ago, it was up in the newspaper that St. Mary's Cathedral in San Francisco had gotten it wrong. Now, if you've been to San Francisco, you know they have a problem with homelessness on a grand scale. And there were a number of homeless living, spending the night up under the eaves of the doors at the St. Mary's Cathedral. Night after night after night after night. So it had become a safety issue, not only for their well-being, but also for the well-being of those who were coming in and out of the cathedral. So they came up with a solution. They installed sprinklers. Every 30 minutes, they would sprinkle the homeless and wet their the news got a hold of that one and they really didn't intend for it to be this kind of understanding of what they were doing it was a, a situation where drugs and, and all kinds of things were going on in the night and it isn't easy I'm just saying and sometimes we don't know what we don't know. Please do not hear me say that this isn't difficult stuff. It's hard to remember that access to Jesus is more important than our comfort. That's what makes it radical. So much for our good intentions and our less than perfect outcomes. What we know about this scripture is that proximity to Jesus is what matters. I'm really struck by the insight of those determined friends who must get to Jesus regardless of the obstacles. They could have gone to that house and said, oh, we'll come back another time. But no, they hop up on that roof because they know that somehow being close to Jesus is going to reorient their lives. It's going to provide both ground and wing 
courage in struggle, confidence in the midst of their despair, and that the living of the gospel is somehow life itself. They know it in their bones. And they've got to get close and figure out how to get past the obstacles. Do we know them in our own lives? Bill Hybels, you will recognize as a, a strong religious leader as well as a nonprofit leader, he founded the Global Leadership Summit several years ago uh, when he did a survey, a retreat for leaders both of industry and nonprofits. <clears throat> he wanted to see how their spirits were doing. So he came up with three questions. The first one was, do you have some place where you can be 100% honest and vulnerable as to what you're going through in your life, where you can be totally honest about struggles, conflicts, needs, weaknesses, etc. Know what the response was? 80% said, no, I got no place. And that's among the seemingly able. Question two, do you have anyone or any group of people who are totally committed to your growth and well-being as a person? Their relationship to you is just to help you grow and develop. 80% said no. Now here's the kicker. Question number three. Have you experienced anything in the last year you would say has gotten to clinical proportions? Burnout, loss of energy, difficulty getting and motivated, concentration or focus problems, anxiety or stress, depression, an addiction or bad habit, sleep problems. 80% said yes. We're hurting. No wonder that we have a hard time discerning when it comes to the internal barriers that we have to welcome and the external ones that exist. I want you to know that the internal barrier is one that gets everybody's knickers in a knot when it comes to the healing that goes on. The radical nature of Jesus' hospitality in his very words suggests that God is not offended by this man's sins. You mean my sins don't keep me from access to God? That's big news if you're a sinner or consider yourself to be one. Understand that when the paralytic is let down, Jesus identifies him as son. Another term for my child indicating that this man who doesn't even know is my family. Jesus is saying, welcome home. Paul Tillich 
theologian had the insight that in that moment, Jesus wasn't forgiving the sins of the paralyzed man. He's proclaiming that in the sight of God, this man is a child, first and foremost, and the stuckness of his sin has to be let go. So Jesus addresses the most radical aspect of what healing hospitality looks like. That there's nothing, nothing that has the power to declare us or to determine for us that we don't belong as a child of God. Nothing is allowed to separate us from the family. A wonderful illustration of that comes by the German artist Matthias Grunewald. His greatest masterpiece is in the infirmary at the monastery of St. Anthony in Isenheim, Germany. Those monks in that particular place were known for their care of those suffering with the plague and skin diseases. So Grunewald depicts the skin of the crucified Jesus in this piece of art as coming undone from sores. The crucified Christ is saying to the sick of Eisenheim, I am in your skin. Family. Nothing separates us from the love of God in Christ Jesus. Not height, nor depth, nor anything else. Not things present, nor things to come. Not life, nor death, nor illness. Not a roof, not a bunch of folks who want to tell us and tell Jesus how he's supposed to do his job. Oh my. That's some hospitality. There are external barriers Jesus is the one healing and forgiving sins, but the, understand that these four friends pace, play such a pivotal role. The four friends have a tenacious, imaginative, and bold kind of compassion that results not only in their carrying this man for some distance, but creating a solution that many would not have considered an option. We often miss in the scripture that it says it is their faith that Jesus saw and had him proclaim to the paralytic son, your sins are forgiven. The faith of this band of believers that supported him and included him, that had provided for him, that suffered for him and struggled for his access is what moved Jesus to compassion. They make the way where there wasn't one and Jesus was so moved to bring a wholeness to the man that included not only forgiveness, but his healing. Do you and I today see ourselves as barrier removers, as paralytic carriers, as those who would push open and make new doors? It's a wonderful story of a woman who, as a child, found herself on an occasion cutting herself with broken glass. 
She had fallen into a fitful street sleep and woke up in a train station. She'd been there only three days, but it seemed like months. She needed stitches, but she couldn't go to the hospital because then she'd have to go back home to her father. Her mother had left them a few months earlier and the abuse she was experiencing by her father and his friends was killing her and if it didn't kill her she wanted to kill herself so she called the Samaritan hotline in London Samaritans can I help you there's crying and the child says I don't know what happened? You sound really upset. Why not start with your name? I'm Pam. What can I call you? Where are you speaking from? Are you safe? I'm in a phone box in London. You sound very young. How old are you? Fourteen. What happened to make you so upset? I just want to die. Every day I wake up and I wish I was dead. I'm glad you called. Let's just start at the beginning. The person sharing this story is the woman who survived it. She made her first call to Samaritan at age 12. She's 14 on this phone call. And it was a devastating time in her life. And these phone calls were received without judgment, complete confidentiality. They were there 24-7. They were there when she was feeling desperate and had no certainty. She says, volunteers answer the phone around the clock every day of the year, and the calls are confidential. And during my teen years, when I was most desperate, Samaritan became my lifeline. Can you imagine a phone being a lifeline for a child? In other words, Samaritan dug a hole in the roof for her, and no water was denied. It was the difference between service and hospitality. The simple act of listening changed her world. And by 21, she was whole enough to be able to start volunteering. And now that woman runs the place. She's a child of God. Safe without qualification because there's a difference between service in the church and healing hospitality our healing radical hospitality will put a roof a hole in the roof and take away the barriers the ones that are internal and the ones that are external isn't it the secret weapon of the world? You and I have it. Jesus is right here among us. And we can experience not only the blessing, 
but the gift of participating in healing the world. Oh, that we could go away saying we were all amazed at the power of Christ with us and within us. Thanks be to God. Amen.